Uh, in order to make a tomlet, sometimes you have to break a few gregs. I'm really mad about that. <laughs> Mostly I'm mad because you're not the first person that I have seen say that. Good evening and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I am one of your co-hosts, Martha Sullivan, a library manager and certified house hunter, and I am here as always with my co-host. I'm Pete Romberg, curriculum developer and uh, have nothing clever to say. Uh, Baker this past weekend, I made a bunch of empanadas. They were very tasty. Ooh. Yes, it was for a baby shower where the food theme was stuffed foods uh, because we're very clever. Dumplings. Yes, dumplings. Everyone has, <laughs> everyone's got a dumpling recipe. I love it. <laughs> uh, we are here today to talk about the dystopian hellhole that we live in and our attempts to gamify it to perhaps make it a little more bearable. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to tell you what's stuck in our heads this week. This is the media or pop culture uh, that we have been chewing on and would just love to discuss outside of the purview of the show. Pete, would you like to tell us about what's stuck in your head? So in the past, since the last episode came out, um, I finally caved to the pressure and got myself an Apple TV subscription. Um Famously, I am an Apple household. I have been since literally birth. Um, so it's just been a holdout on getting the Apple TV subscription channel. Uh, the reasons were twofold. One, I'm interested in Foundation. We're currently watching that. It's good. Uh, but two, and much more importantly, super interested in Ted Lasso. Uh, Ted Lasso is the insane tv show that is based on a commercial for nbc airing soccer like the premier leagues back in 2012 uh which is an insane statement but um here we are in the year 2021 and the show is amazing ted lasso is an american football coach who is brought over to the uk to coach a premier league football team uh you'll notice that american football and british football are different and therein lies the comedy um but also, it's just very sweet and lighthearted. Uh, it, you know, it, it is it is that that salve, that bomb that you might apply after you watch some sort of murder game show for our enjoyment because we live in said capitalist dystopian future hellhole. Um, and so we've been we've been pairing it with with more heavier shows during your traditional one episode of a heavier show, one episode of Ted Lasso. Uh, and, and it's been delightful. Yeah, I don't subscribe to Apple Plus. Yeah, so no, the, the, I the real problem with Ted Lasso is that it's on Apple Plus, which is a crying shame. Uh, because otherwise, it is probably directly my thing. Yes. Um, but yeah, in, I, we are not an Apple household, so, <laughs> um, and I can't add another TV yeah subscription. It, it took a while and i'll be honest after we burn through a couple things i want to watch on apple plus it might it, it's going to be the first one to you know hit the sidewalk sure i am interested in foundation too although i don't know i'll say this Not about foundation much. lee pace mm, 
doing well, some doing some good work yes. in a tall, literally <laughs> glass of water. Very tall. Yes. <laughs> um. But yeah, heard only good things about only good things about Ted Lasso. Would love to watch it. Yep. Would would love would love for it to come out from behind the Apple Plus paywall. Yeah, or maybe somebody could like lend me their Apple Plus login information. <laughs> so what has stuck in my head this week is also a TV show and one that I've been hearing about for a very long time and finally have decided to take the plunge on. Uh, and that is Succession on HBO. Yes. Because I love stories about rich people behaving badly. And Brian Cox. Um, the most badly behaved one of all. <laughs> um, uh, I I have not watched the newest season. Uh, oh, I'm only I'm only halfway through season two. Oh, fantastic! We're probably at the same point then. So I have a question to pose to you, real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, along these lines. To pull up Twitter first. I, is this is this the thing that you tweeted about? Which which Roy are you? Which character in Succession are you? Uh, part of the appeal of Succession is doing the math on which character you'd become if you gave your personality disorder a billion dollars. <laughs> So in case anybody listening to this uh, does not watch Succession, Succession is about a family that is both Walt Disney and also the Kennedys. That no, they're, own no, they're, a, they're, the, they're the Murdochs. Whatever. They own a multi-billion dollar entertainment media empire. And Brian Cox is the reigning patriarch and his three children are horrible people. And everyone thinks for some reason that Brian Cox is going to turn over the company to somebody before he dies, which is foolish. It's never going to happen. Um, but the show is about the like everybody in his orbit kind of politically maneuvering uh, in order to, um, you know, gain leverage, power, money, prestige, all of that. It's HBO with, or it's, it's Game of Thrones with fewer dragons and more um, rich people shenanigans. Yes, correct. Um, but yes, so I am um, pretty mad to realize that if you gave me a billion dollars, I'd probably turn into Kendall. <laughs> uh, I, I did see that tweet of yours, and I was like, really? Uh, I can also I could also see myself pulling a shiv where it's like I would have gone with shiv for you. I'm different than all those other rich people, but right. actually I'm just as terrible because now I have a billion dollars and no one should have a billion dollars. That is true. But that's kind of what I love about the show. Like I it is not aspirational. Like I think the show is very good about saying these people are terrible and nobody should want to be like them. Yes. Um, um uh, Emily Vanderwerf has had uh some really good write-ups recently about how uh the four Roy children represent like the four reactions to uh abuse like to to uh, abusive childhood situations uh of like flight flight fight freeze and fawn uh mm. and and so there we go because uh, there, there, there's the three, the three children by the one wife, and then a fourth older child who uh, is frequently not in the scene because he represents the flight uh, response. 
<laughs> oh my god. Also, he's the worst one. <laughs> Although he's played by Alan Ruck, who I do enjoy. <laughs> uh, Loki, I'd probably be uh, the James Cromwell uh, character, who I believe is uh, Brian Cox's brother, uh, who F's off to like a farm in Canada oh, and is totally yeah. off the grid. <laughs> who shows up? Oh, Pete, you and I would both be Greg. I, I was thinking it's like, oh, but am I actually a Greg? <laughs> am I a Tom? Am I a Greg? I'm not a Tom. Ooh, I'm not I'm not no. Machiavellian enough to be a Tom. You're, you're uh, also too smart to be a Tom. We should stop. <laughs> we're going to take a quick <laughs> recess. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, gamifying the dystopia. We are back. So for our episode today, we are discussing media that looks at how we are discussing media that is all about playing games of death uh, in dystopic societies, whether those are future dystopians, current dystopia, I guess it's dystopia, isn't it? Current dystopias, future dystopias. Uh, and we are going to start with the 1987. Yeah. Yes, 1987 Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle, The Running Man, based off of a Richard Bachman book of the same name. Uh, so this movie takes place in 2017. Oh, the distant future. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh this takes place in the distant future of 2017 where the united states has become a totalitarian police state uh that controls its population through mandatory tv watching of different deadly game shows well in the movie there's only one in the book there's a couple uh, but in the movie, it is called the running man and it is about criminals fighting for their lives against uh paid mercenaries uh called stalkers and if they win if they quote unquote win or stay alive after a certain amount of time uh they get pardoned uh arnold schwarzenegger plays ben richards who is a police helicopter pilot and is framed for uh the killing of a whole bunch of civilians and sent to prison he escapes with some resistance fighters uh, and almost immediately lands back into prison where he is picked up by uh, Damien. Damon Killian, the Killian. most, the most Killian. innocuous name. <laughs> Certainly not the name of some sort of villain. <laughs> Who pegs him to star on the next iteration of The Running Man. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger does his best to Arnold Schwarzenegger and pretty much and kills basically every stalker that they throw at him. People start betting on him instead of the stalkers to win until uh, he gets to the end where Killian offers him a job. Arnold says, F you. <laughs> and uh, ends up throwing him through one of his own Running Man promotional billboards. <laughs> 
this movie differs from the source material in quite Wait, a few ways. What? It does? This isn't <laughs> this isn't like faithful to to a Richard Bachman slash Stephen King short story. Honestly, the funniest way that it's different is that in the novel, um, are you going to say that in the novel Ben Richards isn't an enormous hulking man who speaks with an Austrian accent? I was actually. I was going to say that in the novel, Ben Richards is like a weak little consumptive who's dying of lung cancer, just like everybody else oh in this God. horrible health. Pit. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> also, Whereas, like, I like, feel Arnold, like the second scene Arnold is in, he is literally carrying an eye beam across his shoulder by himself in prison. Well, and it's like, oh, and- my God. And the other things that I thought were very interesting changes is that in the book, Ben Richards signs up voluntarily because he can win a lot of money mm-hmm. and he needs he needs the money to pay for medical bills for his wife and his daughter. So that's a straight and, up squid game. Yes. Um, and it's also a game of survival. Like they give him five grand and say, go disappear into the world. You have 30 days to survive. And if you make it out of that 30 days, then you win a billion dollars. Hmm. But people are hunting you the whole time um citizens get cash bonuses but to provide information about where they see you Mm -hmm. um the longest anybody has ever survived is eight days so in the book there's no pretending that there are any winners to this game sure uh in the film which is primarily what we're talking about today in the book is it all like televised Yes. Okay. No, it's not. So what happens in the book is part of his contract is he has to film himself hmm. twice a day, like doing little like confessionals. Vlogs. Yeah. So he films himself and mails those into the studio. And if he ever misses a like if he ever misses a videotaping, he forfeits the money. Hmm. Um so people are still like tracking him. It is still the like the entertainment aspect is still there. But it's not it like was the, just made we'll in... go to the live feed. Right. Right. Um but yeah, this is much more rollerball. <laughs> well, so uh this this movie came out the same year as RoboCop, and I think they have a lot of the same DNA at sort of like poking fun at um th- like at sort of American television in the late 80s. Uh, you know, RoboCop has the whole, like, I'd buy that for a dollar interstitials, uh, the weird commercials for Omnicorp, and all the rest of it. Uh, and a lot of them have the same feel as this, where, like, Damon Killian is a total, um, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name, Vince Mahone, whatever, the the, the WWE guy. Oh, um, McMahon. McMahon, there we go. Um, and And is just, like, you know, this is basically what if the WWE but on crack, right? Like, and and also <laughs> quasi mandatory viewing for for the incarcerated population of the United States. Uh, by incarcerated, I, really, I mean everyone's incarcerated because we're in a police state. I really loved the fitness dancers. On the, yes, yes, like the, how the like sh- how like Captain Patriotism is like running his own fitness regimen yes. uh but then also yeah on the show you just have the the fitness babes yeah so this has all of the like neon lights gong show style um game show 
up to and including checking in with the audience to see like who's who do they think is gonna croak next well and, and like <laughs> and the, if the audience predicts right they can win cash and prizes including a trip to jamaica and the running man board game uh yes. <laughs> just very, like very very um of the time sort of aesthetics yes. and not, not just visual aesthetics but like what does television look like what does television feel like aesthetics um uh, so I, 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 yeah, I think I, I like this more than this. you did. <laughs> I did not love this movie. Um, I, Arnold did this a lot during his career as a film star where he would play roles where I was expected to buy him as like. Everyday normal... American Ben Richards. Yes. <laughs> and I am always kind of like Arnold. You are not fooling anybody except your destiny. <laughs> like, I simply, I simply do not buy him as like, I just want to go home and retire under my cherry tree. And uh huh, like, yeah, yeah. And it's it's always just like, uh, dude, I I can't with yeah. this. Like, I I had fun with the scenes where he is fighting the stalkers and like swinging down off balconies and kicking them in the face. Like that ruled. This this movie I also got... had an insane quip ratio. Uh, he had like three quips for every fight. Yeah, I got very lost. The beginning, I had a very hard time connecting to the beginning of this movie where it's all of the like build up to the resistance stuff. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of just like, I don't, it's not that I don't care because that stuff does end up being very, very important. But I was also a little bit like, why am I not watching Arnold punching anybody yet? (laughs) I I would say this movie is not good. But I I got onto its wavelength quickly and was like, oh, it's an it's a hard R eighties action movie with Arnold. All right, carry me along. I, I like I know what I'm in for. Um, yeah. By the time we got to the game show part, I was like, all right, this is what I'm here for. Yeah. Um, because yes, this movie incorporates a great deal of the like resistance fighter and like resistance angle and the the people that are fighting the system from the inside and i don't know that i needed as much of that as they gave me yeah it also an interesting thing about this movie is that you have the resistance who's trying to ostensibly take down the government or whatever uh, and at the end of the movie they hack into the airwaves and prove that uh, arnold was framed and it was actually the the government that ordered the the murder of all these people, yada yada yada. Um, and then it kind of seems like the end result is that like a bunch of people win money betting on Arnold in the Running Man, and nothing changes in nothing society. Changes. Like there's no mass uprising. It's all just people are like, yeah, Killian's gone, Arnold's free. End, yeah, the end, end of the of movie it. is. Is him and his love interest just walking off the stage. Yeah. It's like, wait. And and there is no uprising. Everyone is still just like, yeah, we made a bunch of money off the bookies who are running like street bets on, on who's going to croak next. Um, and, and that I thought was a 
if this were the speaking of robocop again if this was a, a verhoven movie i would say that was a definitely intentional critique of how tv is sort of the opiate of the masses now and how no matter what is being shown to them, nothing's actually ever going to change and the powerful will stay powerful. This isn't a Paul Verhoeven movie. It's a random action movie directed by the guy who did Starsky and Hutch. Um, so I don't know if that is the message it's trying to send. Yeah, I'm not sure. Would, do you know, would you like to know how this, how the book ends? Sure, yeah. Uh, the book ends with Ben Richards hijacking a plane that uh, Damon Killian is on. Killian offers him a job as the head stalker, and Ben Richards flies the plane into a building and kills both of them. Hmm. He doesn't uh, throw Killian out the the plane door, saying like, uh, you know, sorry, you'll have to catch the next flight or something like that. No, he also finds <laughs> out that his wife and daughter, who he's been doing all of this to, um. Have you know, died. get money to save. Yeah, died like three days after he started playing. Oh, fun. Uh huh. I mean, that's that's a good Stephen King slash Richard Bachman like downer ending that I understand why the studios did not want to go in that direction. Um, especially when they decided to change almost every other aspect of it as well. Like the, the this this feels like it has a lot of potential critiques, and then it's sort of sputters out into just an 80s action movie in a lot of ways um that being said one thing i do appreciate about 80s action movies is that they are like in a way they're effortlessly more diverse than modern action movies like you have yafet kodo as like the his uh, arnold's main you know connection to the resistance um his his love interest is a latina woman um you have a lot of people of color in prominent in in more prominent roles whereas nowadays i feel like you wouldn't have a latina woman as especially not one with a, a recognizable accent as like the love interest um, oh yeah cool yeah um you know how believable she was as a love interest Question mark. I mean, you know, when she's introduced um, doing jazzercise aerobics in her lingerie, uh, whatever. Yes. <laughs> um, no, but in general, I enjoyed her. Um, Yafet Koto's great. Yeah, although he was one of the characters that I kind of lost. I had trouble sort of keeping track of. Sure. Just like, what is happening here? Um. Yeah. Oh, that, okay, I was I was ninety percent sure that was Jesse Ventura as Captain Freedom, and I'm glad to know that I was right. Correct. Um, would we like to segue into our more modern? Sure. So the other homework that we assigned is the much more uh, recent and of the moment uh, Netflix international mega hit squid game uh from south korea uh this is a it is a survival drama tv show uh where a number of characters in various all of whom are in financial distress in some way or another are invited to join a secretive sort of 
game where they uh, are asked to play children's games with a deadly twist. Uh, so we learn in the first episode they have to play red light, green light, and those who do not stop at the red light get machine gunned down. Um, twists and turns happen. We uh, follow primarily our main character of Gihuan, um, a divorced chauffeur and gambling addict who is trying to support his uh, his uh, elderly and uh, diabetic mother. Uh, that's why he's in the game. Um, we also have a handful of other people, a uh, former head of an investment bank who was embezzling money, um, a North Korean defector who needs money to get the rest of her family across from North Korea into South Korea, uh, an old man with a brain tumor who's just kind of playing the game uh, as a way to jazz up his last days. Uh, we've got a gangster who's in debt to other gangsters, um, a migrant uh, Pakistani worker in South Korea who needs money. Um, and, uh, yeah, everyone. And then throughout all this, we also have a, a police officer who sneaks into the island uh, where these games are all happening and uh, is real smart for most of the show and is sort of like assuming a bunch of different guises. Uh, we learn that these games are put on for the benefit of wealthy, invite-only individuals um, who are watching it and placing bets on who's going to win, and that the games have been going on for literally decades. Um, We're going to spoil a lot of this show, so yeah. if you have not watched Squid Game yet, please do. Um, it uh, will take glad, you three days. <laughs> uh, glad you said that after I gave some spoilers, some some well, episode seven to, or eight spoilers. But I was uh, going to say I wanted to catch you before I wanted to get in before we got to any of the like super meaty spoilers who's gonna die and who's etc yeah 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 cool okay. i mean the answer is everybody dies right except except for one yes uh so yes here is your here is your spoiler warning yeah um so i was i loved this mm -hmm. i was riveted through it yes um I would like to start us by reading an excerpt from a New York New York Times opinion piece by Frank Bruni. Oh, good. Yes, it is called Why the Popularity of Squid Game Terrifies Me. Listeners, and that I am sound going you to, heard was me rolling my eyes. Yes, I'm going to preface this excerpt by saying that his essay offends me. Um but we'll get into why after I read this, this choice little piece. To some extent, Squid Game is big because it's big. It's first burst popularity generating attention that begets even greater popularity as everyone wants in on the action and as curiosity's slippery tentacles reach farther and farther into people's consciousness. But its commentary on class, greed, and savagery is much too central to be incidental. That commentary may, as Mike wrote, be a thin veneer of pertinence meant to justify the unrelenting carnage, but it's there, thin or not, along with that carnage, and tens of millions of viewers are riveted. For many, if not all of them, to at least some degree, this portrait of life as a sadistic lottery and poverty as a hopeless torture chamber has resonance, which means it also has merit. That's a bullet to the soul. I what mean, I object, has, what has I, Bruni not what I, around? what I find so deeply offensive about this take is the idea that because 
we recognize the unrelenting savagery of capitalism in this show, it means we also agree with it. Like, I don't understand. I, don't... I, watch, I watch Squid Game and I see echoes of the world that I live in. Yeah. I, 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 I... But that does not mean that I'm on board with what is happening in Squid Game. So I, I don't have that text in front of me. Listening to you read it, I took it up more as him saying, isn't this awful that people think of our society as being akin to Squid Game? And I can only respond like, yeah, my dude, in many ways it is. Um, I, I didn't, like, for, from that excerpt you read, and I don't have the text in front of me, I didn't get a, like, we we condone it so much as he was like, Wow, people think society is this way? Why would you ever think that? I'm a well-paid New York Times columnist. Uh, I don't think of, of capitalist society in that way at all. Uh, oh, let me read you another sentence from earlier in the op-ed. Okay. So, okay. Um... Well, and, and like, this is not to undermine your point, because, like, yeah, obviously, I think both of us walk away from the show with a sense of, like, feels resonant to the society we live in because late stage capitalism bad also by watching and enjoying it doesn't mean we condone it it means like i mean i don't know has my dude not seen parasite same kind of thing well and he says but the fact that they they meaning viewers of squid game the fact that they're not repelled by the incessant bloodletting and by many characters flamboyant cruelty to one another says something weird and disturbing about modern sensibilities i want to know where he's getting the idea that i'm not repelled by the incessant bloodletting and many characters flamboyant cruelty. Like, right. this is not a show, this is not an aspirational show. It is not something that we watch and go, yes, I want to be like that person. Right, like, I, <laughs> at no point in this show am I like, I want to join the Squid Game. Um, and that is, to bring it back around to our central theme of the episode, one of the things that I think Squid Game is doing is holding up a mirror to the world that we live in now, like South Korea, much like America, is a region that is deeply, deeply plagued with young people in debt. Mm-hmm. There are incredibly high suicide rates in South Korea. There are incredibly high divorce rates, early death rates, because they, like, like the us. middle class of America, is buckling under the weight of debt that we have all assumed trying to live our lives. And there is a incredibly wealthy oligarchy that is running, you know, that that holds the reins and is, you know, using us all for sport as it as this like, you know, not not in some ways not as active as in Squid Game, but in other ways, kind of. Yeah, so we we don't watch Squid Game because we are treating it as a gladiatorial sport. We watch Squid Game because it gives us characters that we can root for. And also, we are hoping, or at least I was hoping, that by the end we would get some kind of cathartic payback for the people that are putting our main characters into this situation. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the phrase, like, gladiatorial sport. We were talking off-air about, like, where this trope of, like watching people like you know gamifying death 
came from. And it's like, yeah, the gladiators were not the first, but they are the like a, a cornerstone in Western civilization for that. But the point of watching gladiatorial combat was to watch and enjoy and revel in the death uh, by the by the time of the um, of, of like the movie Gladiator. Uh, that was the point. Um, it started as funerary rites, but we're not going to get into that. Um, <laughs> so so like, yeah, by, by the time that we as a Western society think of gladiatorial sports, the point was to watch the bloodshed and, and the violence in the same way that you would go to maybe like a, a wrestling match or a football match or whatever. I don't think that's why we're watching Squid Game. We're not watching Squid Game because we want to see who's going to die next. We're watching Squid Game because we're deeply invested in these characters who we feel an affinity with because we are um, in not the same situation, obviously, as these people, but in in situations where like their situation resonates with a lot of the global population, um, plus their compelling characters that we can root for. And the villains are the billionaires who are pulling the strings and forcing them to fight to the death in their insane sadistic games for their betting amusement. Um, Something that, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Something that I thought was very, very interesting comparing this to Running Man and to most of the properties that I think of when we talk about, like, games of death in the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. um, Squid Game is not a public game. Like, this is a game that gets put on only for the enjoyment of horrible billionaires of like who are six, paying a lot of six money. Rich dudes. Yeah. And I think part of that is because it is not a future show. It mm-hmm. is a now show. And this is something that we can more easily conceive of because there are no big publicly televised events to the death. Like that that right. is not happening because, right now. Right, because like Jeff Bezos is spending all his money to go to space. But if instead he wanted to spend his money making a murder island to watch people kill each other, he could. He could. Um, and also might be. Um, but uh, I, I think it's interesting that in Running Man, Killian is constantly calling up the DOJ or the president. And, and you have this very clear um, idea of the the... I don't know if it's like rich individuals or just corporations writ large have sort of captured government and that there is now this like literally fascistic uh synergy between corporate and governmental um uh like desires and and wants and needs and all the rest of it um Mm -hmm. because like fascism is like what if the government is also a corporation and what if corporations are also the government uh squid game is much more that sort of like shadowy the rich can do whatever they want they have their offshore bank accounts yada 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 and so while it's clear that they can exert their money and influence to squash any investigations into this or to you know make sure everything gets swept under the rug it's not like um uh big old spoiler uh uh ilnam the old dude is like mm-hmm. calling up the president of south korea and being like I need another 25 people for my squid game. Um, it's much more just like that insidious way that wealth has sort of corrupted all human relations rather than the specific way of like governments and CEOs are in bed together. Yeah, both both the running man and squid game are using this as a method of control in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um 
like the in Running Man, we have a government trying to control an entire populace, and in Squid Game, we have a bunch of rich people just, you know, like and controlling five hundred randos every year. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they're they're doing it because they are in control of the world, and this is mm-hmm. one of the ways in which they're like, I can just do whatever I want. It's also the vibe of like this is how they get their kicks. Yes, absolutely. Like very explicitly. Like this. This has um, nothing to do with like. I mean, like running. Uh, uh, say what you will for the Running Man. At least it has an ethos. Um, to to uh, butcher a big Lebowski quote, but like the point of the Running Man is that it keeps the population in check. And there there's a couple lines throughout of just like they're they're connected with the DOJ because the government realizes that by siphoning like America's collective id through the running man, it can therefore suppress like dissent. Um, Squid game is literally just six rich dudes want to place bets on people murdering each other and end of rationale. It's still, it's still about control. It's just a different governing body that we're talking about. Totally. I'm, I'm just saying that like, yeah, I, I don't agree obviously with the, I, I don't agree with the ethos of the running man of like, we'll do civil control via game shows, but at least there, <laughs> at least there's a reason behind it. Whereas sure. the reason behind squid it's game is like, I'm bored and have like money. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh my God. How mad was I? So yes, at the end, this old guy who has a brain tumor that we've been watching become friends with Gihun, who is our main character. We think he dies in one of the episodes. He doesn't. Turns out he's the big bad behind the whole thing um, and was playing because it amused him to do so. I got very mad about that because I was like, if you want to play to inject meaning back into your life, play by the rules. I called him being the big bad in episode you, two. You and my sister. Well, my sister. Maybe episode uh, one. My sister got it after the episode where he supposedly dies because he dies off screen. That that was my confirmation. But I was like, old dude is number one and has all these things happening. OK, dude, like he's number one for a reason. I I am occasionally sort of willfully genre unaware because I like being surprised. Sure. Well, like, I, stuff. it was the kind of thing where like at various points throughout the show, I was just like, this could go either way, legitimately. Like, he could be the big bad, or he could be just like, uh, he just randomly gets number one and all the rest of it. Uh, but the well, instant he died off screen, I'm like, boom, done. He's he's the baddie. And the episode where that happens is the most heartbreaking episode because um, the, they, are, they all pair up, and basically one member of each pair is killed when they lose, like, a one-on-one game. But they're not told that when they pick their partners. So mm-hmm. everybody is picking the people that they've gotten to be friends with. And the whole episode. Like, there's the married couple who we never see discuss, but then the dude wins and then hangs And then himself he hangs later. himself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 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 um, boy. I Ugh. cried through that whole episode. So by the time we get to the end where, um, you know, Gihun and the old man are, uh, paired up and they have been developing this relationship through the whole show one and and i was very primed to just be heartbroken like i was already crying well and and the old dude is i assume acting but also who knows maybe not acting uh some serious like alzheimer's issues throughout the episode so it's like which yes oh no 
Well, yeah. and yeah, and I this is not unique to me, but I I watched my grandfather die of Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. so that whole experience was just very very rough. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just going back to that op-ed, just one more time because I don't want to talk about it anymore because it makes me mad. <laughs> but it's just it is so reductive to reduce this show to oh people aren't as shocked by the bloodshed as I am, therefore they're not as affected by it. Like that's kind of. For, that goes that assumes that I'm watching it because that assumes that I'm watching it like a gladiatorial fight. Right. And that is so underrating what the emotional core of the show is yeah. that it makes me mad. Yeah. Frank Bruni has a long history of bad takes. Uh so this can go in that slot. Cool. <laughs> um but yeah, so the Running Man and Squid Game are both part of a very long lineage of media that um you know shows blood blood sport is that the phrase you're looking for Mm -hmm. yeah like it's it's the long walk which i believe is also a stephen king book yep um it is the hunger games it is battle royale Mm -hmm. um and most of these involve like squid game is kind of the squid game is the one that i can think of well the most dangerous game most dangerous is another game. one. Mm-hmm. I was going to say most of these examples take place in like an explicitly fascist government as a means of controlling the population. So like they give you a gladiatorial event to distract you and also show that they can uh, kill you on a whim. Literally and... the bread and circuses of ancient Rome, which obviously Susan Collins uh, took uh, for Pan Am uh, with the hunger games yep. yeah. in the hunger games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and a big part of all of those things is betting on the survivors. It is reducing the lives of the people involved to, um, you know, a chance that you could win a bunch of money if you pick the right, like, if you make a good bet. Um, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through all the various, um, uh, things you, you presented and they all, are using it well a squid game aside many of them are using it for social control purposes but they're also using it in different ways um battle royale is coming out of a a time in japan when like youth hooliganism was a real problem uh and so it's the classic like what if it got even worse and then we had draconian solutions so mm-hmm. so battle royale isn't so much like the populace is watching and like betting on it it's more just like kids keep it together or you're going to be sent to Murder Island. But they do. I mean, it is televised. It is like, televised. But of- I, I, I never got that. Like, s- I, uh, uh, so Hunger, are, Hunger Games might be a better example. Or like the Capitol may or may not be betting on the victors, but like everyone out in the districts aren't betting on the winners. They just want their representative to win because they know them. Um, so and, and so it's a different, three, it's, it's still social three, control, but it's different. There are three different iterations of battle Royale. There is mm. the original novel, there is a movie, and then there is an extended manga adaptation. I've only consumed the movie. I have read the manga and watched the movie. I have not read the novel yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all are pretty, I mean, they're very faithful adaptations. The biggest difference that the manga has is that it's 13 volumes. Good Lord. So, you get to know every single one of those kids 
you get a lot more background as to what is happening in Japan and they make it explicit that like this is a reality TV show program. People mm-hmm. are betting on the winners. Mm. Um, like they even give you odds. Like the the kind of command center horrible people sure. will check in and be like, Oh, who are you backing? Like and talk about like the odds of different students. Sure. So sure, sure. that that is an explicit part of the manga, which has more space to kind of get into that than the movie does. Um but yeah, it is very much a, you know, we can pluck your whole uh, ninth grade class out of the ether and force you to kill each other because... Well, and like, like the, the specifics <laughs> of that are that it's like, it's an extension of like youth hooliganism run amok. So how do we deal with it? Uh, murder, oh, yeah, they have talk the children about how... murder each other. Yeah, they talk about how like rock and roll is banned in right. Japan. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. It's a very... It's a very almost flash dance kind of like no dancing. <laughs> no dancing, only, only you murder. know the consequences, murder. <laughs> yes. <Right. laughs> um, I would like to talk a little bit about this moralizing of death entertainment mm-hmm. because I I think that the trope of or the vehicle of death entertainment um, when it was like an actual thing that they were participating in ancient Rome. It was like a blood sport that people participated in by watching and doing all of that. And now we still, I feel like I vocalized this better before we started recording. You're talking about the idea that when we watch the movie Gladiator, we are consuming mega violence, but we're watching it on a a movie screen. Whereas we are also looking at, well, simultaneously, while we're enjoying watching Russell Crowe murder a fake dude on, on a movie, we're also looking down on those Romans who are also being portrayed on the fake movie screen, who are watching the actual murder happening and are reveling in it and are like, woo, yeah, go murder that dude. Like, you know, thumbs down. Uh, And we're just like, oh, those savages who live in their barbaric worlds. Uh, Yes. Yeah. So by adding, by adding an additional layer of. um, Consumption. um, We are able to put like a veneer of morality between us and the death that's happening i don't know if it's a layer of consumption so much of it as it's a well layer i mean of like fiction. media like like media consumption okay. like so like there are the people on the screen that are watching the gladiator fight and then there are us at home watching the people on the screen watching the gladiator fight so yeah, it's like sure. an additional okay. yeah it's additional i i almost said viewerism but then i was like i don't know if that's a word um, I, I i got you um, I'm I'm gonna push back on that because I think it's more the sense of like we know this is fake death and not real death. True, but I I do think that it's important that we are placed in a position of being able to judge the people on the screen mm. who are enjoying, um, enjoying the violence you're, because also you're gonna have your also, cutaways to the citizens of the capital watching Katniss murder whomever. But also, I don't think we can discount the fact that it is satisfying to watch Arnold kick the guy in the face to death. Like, 
we are still rooting for the violence. We just get to rest kind of easy knowing both that it's fake because it's a movie, um, but also that we know we're rooting for the hero. Mm hmm. Right. Like we we know because of movies, uh, the good guys and the bad guys. Uh, right. And, and so it's it's an easier thing to just be like, he's the good guy. This is fine. Right. Um, and I am not a person who thinks that like media watching violent media automatically desensitizes us to death and violence. Right. Um, but I, I do think that it is worth thinking about the fact that we still pretty voraciously as a culture um, consume these kind of morality plays where you know at the end of the day we're still rooting for someone to kill someone else mhm mhm even if it's just scripted not real death i mean like lizard brain says violence fun uh it, it, that like it, in the most reductive way to phrase that one but like yeah i i think that there is a huge visceral kick to watching like to watching violence unfold, especially in a safe way where you are, you know that you are not going to be, you know, forced to participate or harmed in any, in any meaningful way. Um, mm. And then if you can add the extra layer of like, I'm enjoying watching the violence and I can judge these people from the past or future, depending on the, uh, you know, movie um, for their barbaric ways. Like, uh, it does the, the, the American psyche psyche is deeply screwed up, and part of that is we love to think that we are like the pinnacle of humanity, and so looking down on you know the the barbaric the barbaric natures of the past without like critiquing them in any meaningful way is like a number one. But also, then we do things like watch football. What's wrong with football? <laughs> I say deeply sarcastically. <laughs> yeah. It, I, no, mean, I, it, okay. I, I, I live in Wisconsin. I understand. <laughs> the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, my husband is a huge hockey fan. I also deeply enjoy watching hockey. Mm -hmm. I wish that they would ban fighting in hockey because it scares me, but they never will because it's a huge draw. It's a huge draw for... and it's also quasi-consensual, so I don't know. No, it's not quasi-consensual. It is encouraged. It is it is baked into the sport in a way that I find upsetting. That's fair. And I I have very deeply held convictions about the fact that I think the Penalty for starting a fight should be an automatic game ejection followed by some kind of suspension. I don't think, I think hockey should be discouraging fights in a way that it does not. Sure, I, I, I will absolutely give you that hockey does not discourage fights. By quasi-consensual, I mean like, there are many stories of hockey players from opposing teams sort of being like, hey, you want to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Um, and then throwing down gloves and going like that. But like, do they do that because they want to, or because they have been told they don't have another choice? I I don't know if they were specifically told they don't have another choice, but then we quickly get into the thing of like, 
they weren't specifically told that they had to do this, but also the culture that they're existing in on the ice is one where this is not only condoned but encouraged. So, yeah, so and that's how and much that's what how I'm much talking. right and, and and so how much of it is like you know it's it's consensual in the sense that both guys are throwing that down their gloves and going at it and like and may have talked about it beforehand, but also it's baked into an, a a bigger culture where this is just. Part, yeah, and part when you have when you have a stadium of people like right. standing up and screaming for you, right. it's so yes, we have replaced blood sport with different kind of blood sport. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, and like that's that's like there's you know it, it goes back to like Freud of like we are we're all like you know I'm getting at the the phraseology wrong, but like we're we're subducing our our primal urges through you know before we watch gladiators now we watch footballers you know it's like it's less violent so that's good uh, and I'm being very oh, reductive and not actually it, say, like I'm not actually stating anything that Freud said but like this is a deep a deep vein in pipe pop psychology of like the violent past has given way to the shining modernity where we no longer kill people. We just have men smash into each other because there are deep urges that humans need to, to like have expressed. And we do it through, through violent sports, which is better than the past where it was through violent warfare. Um, Football ruins lives. Yeah. Right. And also like, this is like nonsense pipe pop psychology. So, Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's been a vein of criticism and of, uh analysis for you know 60 years that's how i feel about that (laughs) well anything else or should we get wrapping up uh squid game is great you should watch it yes you should watch it because the characters are incredible the actors are fantastic um Uh, and because you are all a bunch of depraved maniacs who want to watch a bunch of people murdered can I also just say something I really loved about Squid Game that I also noticed in Running Man, because Running Man is a movie from the 80s, it and Squid Game are both colorful in a way that yes. we don't see a lot of movies anymore. And I thought I thought Squid Game used its very like bright kind of fairy tale color colors to create this like very um psychedelic it, it, kind of experience it, it's psychedelic and also like so childish like it's it's bubblegum it's it's shiny plastic bubblegum childhood stuff and then it's mm-hmm. like like no oh, and then it's all covered in blood and um, that like that juxtaposition is meant to be shocking right in a similar way that i think the juxtaposition between the like happy um peppy game show is supposed to be shocking against the actual death that's happening well like and all the stalkers have like catchy like kitschy things like there's like fireball who has a flamethrower and a jetpack uh buzzsaw who has a chainsaw that can cut through anything dynamo who mm-hmm. i don't know is like an opera singer with late with like lightning powers covered in like tron gear he was a little much for me um <laughs> like <laughs> professor sub-zero is a hockey player with a razor stick like it, it it's very like it, it's american gladiator type stuff uh or like american ninja warrior type stuff where it's all like themed and and fun and, and like kitschy in a way 
Um, you know, like you, you don't just have a stalker. You don't just have like Rambo and second Rambo and third Rambo. You have like dude with the chainsaw, dude with the flamethrower, dude with the hockey stick saw, you know, um, Jesse Ventura. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then in Squid Game, you have like playgrounds and games of marble. Like it is explicitly, um, like. schoolyard schoolyard games when and all the sets Um, all all the set like i say sets but like all the locations are built such that these adults are now put back into schoolyard kid sizes like the slide is proportional to the slide of a kid if it's an adult instead i phrase mm -hmm. that horribly but i think i know i think you know what i mean yes so yes put more colors in your movies Yes, please. Yes. I <laughs> Running Man it's a little bit like okay, yeah, uh uh Dynamo. What exactly are we doing here? But uh it, it, colors are good. What are we watching next week? All right. So next week we are talking about, well, here's the thing. Are we talking about anime adaptations or are we talking about adaptations of anime? Because we're going to go both ways. We're going to look at some live-action adaptations of animes, and we're going to look at some anime, not versions, but like anime uh, re-envisionings of live-action things. Uh, so we are going to be uh, talking about Cowboy Bebop, both the anime and the uh, new Netflix show that is going to be dropping this upcoming Friday. Um, and Martha, we haven't talked about this, but I feel like this is a bit of a get through as much of those as you can and we'll just go from there as a groundwork. Yeah. Like I, I don't, uh, I don't know if I can commit to, to watching all of the Netflix cowboy bebop. Oh no, I would, I would shoot for a couple episodes of each version, get some vibes, figure out the, you know, yeah. Be be able to compare and contrast the two in a reasonable way. Carry on. Uh, and, and then go in the other direction. We're watching a star Wars visions, which is the new Disney plus, anime star wars episodes uh same thing here watch a couple of them they're all very different um and i can assume that you've watched a star wars movie star wars <laughs> so yes. uh watch if, a star wars. right if you haven't watched a star war i don't know here's 10 bucks go see a star war go see uh, a star war <laughs> <laughs> oh dear <laughs> and, and we're just gonna be looking at how how anime can translate to live action successfully or unsuccessfully how live action can translate to anime successfully or unsuccessfully um etc it'll be a good wide-ranging and probably shaggy conversation and i'm sure we will all have very deep feelings about the cowboy bebop adaptation one way or it's another getting some pretty gnarly reviews like in a bad way listen we're not gonna project we're gonna go I'm... into this with open hearts and open minds agreed <laughs> all right take uh, us out but until until then uh, you can check out all of our previous episodes on SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get, uh, wherever podcasts are sold and downloaded. Um, if that's not enough content for you, you should check out uh, the other show that I do that releases on the same feed called Love Ya, where Pete's wife Marin and I uh, watch a teen film or a rom-com and then talk about it. You can follow us on social media at all the places at DYDYH Podcast, including Twitter, Instagram, 
And we are facebook.com backslash did you do your homework? No, homework podcast. It's always homework podcast. You can you can find us on Facebook <laughs> by searching did you do your homework, but your also homework. Uh, delete your Facebook account and that will solve all these problems. Yes, none of us should be on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on all the socials at Magical Martha, uh, and you can read my newsletter at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. I just published a an issue where I list all of the movies, all of the scary movies that I watched in the month of October. Uh, and I have pretty much committed to watching a holiday movie every day from Black Friday to Christmas. Oh, fun. So I'm very excited about embarking on that. I'm going to make the, a... Um, I'm going to make a good faith effort to limit myself to holiday movies I have not seen before. I was going to ask the very stupid question of, are there that many holiday movies? And then I realized what that question was and um, framed, say, it, fr- framed it uh, in a way that made me uh, sound dumb instead. Hey, you know? <laughs> how many holiday movies did Hallmark make this year? Right, yeah. This year alone, you could probably get 24 <laughs> movies. <laughs> Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Pico3000. That's P-I-K-O-3000. Uh, talking politics and, and pop culture. This year alone, Hallmark is releasing 41 Christmas movies. Somebody so, stop them before they kill again. Never. Uh, <laughs> Lucy Chabert needs a career repeat. <laughs> I don't know who that is. You've never seen Mean Girls? I have. I don't know the name of anyone in that other than Amanda Bynes. And she um, wants she wants to make fetch happen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know her name. Um. Anyway, yes, that's a foolish question. <laughs> <laughs> I have many options, and I am looking forward to every single one of them. Excellent. I'm still allowed to watch my holiday favorites. They just have to be in addition to. Sure, sure, sure. Right. So I'm still going to watch Elf. I was going to say Elf is on the table, but you also have to pair Elf with something new. Correct. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in a couple of weeks. And until then, enjoy doing your homework. Class dismissed. Awesome. Everything is awesome. (laughs) That's a good episode. Yeah.